Open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. For those of you familiar with your Bibles, you know that that is the chapter that contains the first giving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. Let us, in a short period of time, consider the seriousness of sin. Since we have the Lord's table to visit in a little while, we want to consider sin before we consider our Savior. The Savior's value depends on your comprehension of sin. Those that have been forgiven much and know it are those that love much. Luke chapter 7 taught us. We want to see the family consequences of sin. Sin runs in families. Unless that family cycle is broken by a great man or a great woman. And so it leads us to some practical considerations we'll consider in a few moments. We want to consider the importance of righteousness. That the man who lives a righteous life, that is, a man who hates sin and wants to do everything that God expects of us the way God defines it. That's righteousness. Living life by doing what is right as defined by God. We want to see the great role that self-examination has. When you take the word consider and you consider your relatives and you consider other sinners and you consider yourself... The Bible tells us to consider our ways, and when we do that, it ought to lead us to repentance. And we want to see the great role of self-examination and repentance, because it's able to break cycles that extend through generations of families and even nations. My brethren, today we are going to learn and be reminded of some things from God's Word that are so profound in their value and their comprehensive effect that they have on men. And yet the world does not understand them, nor does the world know the answers nor remedies for them. The world is so confused with its sciences falsely so-called, like psychology and sociology and anthropology and the other so-called false sciences of the study of man and his relationship to one another, his purpose in the universe, when we have the answers in the Bible. And they're plain answers. And our children ought to know them, and our children ought to know them and believe them dogmatically. It's not that we may have an idea. We have absolute truth on these issues. And we're going to see them in both sermons. Instead of going to a humanistic university to study social sciences, psychology, anthropology, and the other hallucinations of descendants of monkeys, that's what they claim for themselves, we should believe the authority, the truth, and the wisdom of Holy Scripture. Because in these pages, we have the most profound declarations about ourselves, about the God of heaven, our origin, our problems, And the cure of all those problems, the future of this earth, and our future in a place called heaven. And we can just branch out from those short little summary statements to the wonderful things the Bible tells us about our lives. 
This book is phenomenal in the stupendous truth that it reveals about life, death, and eternal life. Origins, problems, maladies of the human race, problems in your own heart, the difficulties you have with your flesh. It's all right here. We're told about it. This is where you need to come to get a psychological analysis of your person and to find out what you should do to be much improved. Let's consider it. We're in Exodus chapter 20. I want to declare a basic point. I want to show you the deliverance from it. And then let's draw some practical applications and that will be our study. The point we want to declare first. Wicked men. Wicked men accrue God's curse on their children. All other things being equal. When you, make a, when you make a dogmatic statement in any field of study, it is usually wise to say all other things being equal because there are usually more factors impacting a particular situation or thing than just one. So when we are looking at God's Word, and God's Word is written this way, you are to understand that, that God with an infinite mind is operating with numerous factors in every situation. But we want to understand, we want to isolate on something that God declares, and it is true. And it is profound and powerful in its effects. And that is, wicked men accrue. That means they bring about God's judgment on successive generations for their sins. Of course, the point is going to be how we can break those cycles. But let's, we're not there yet. Let's first of all establish the truth. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. Speaking of idolatry, most of the nations of the earth have committed themselves to idolatry, and they persist in idolatry, and they are still idolaters. This day, as late as the year 2009 in the 21st century, there are countless millions, yea, billions, that are still idolaters. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And of course, we could go on and read, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments, and that includes the seed of the righteous. But that's not the point I want to make right now. The point I want to make right now is that wickedness accrues and brings about God's judgment upon children to the third and the fourth generation, as this text declares to us, because God is jealous. For those of you who are well familiar with material that's been preached in the past, I hope you remember the study of Ahaziah. Ahaziah and how he and his son and his son's son were cut out of the kings of Judah, even though they were legitimate kings of Judah. They did sit on the throne in Jerusalem. They were cut out so that in Matthew chapter 1, they do not appear in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're flat cut out because they married Jehoram married the daughter of Ahab, Athaliah, and the result of that was Ahaziah. And God said, because your daddy 
married Ahab's daughter. Now, that was just his cousin, you know, maybe 13th removed, but it was his cousin from Israel. He didn't marry an Egyptian. He didn't marry a Hittite. He married Ahab's daughter. And therefore, God cut out three generations because of a man marrying out of the Lord, even though it was his cousin among God's people. Let that be a reminder to all of us. And I, I wanted to bring that up right there because of it said third and fourth generation. That's a dilemma that no one can solve except a few people who fear God and love the Bible. They go to Matthew 1, they say, what happened to these three kings? They go back into the Old Testament and find out that in two places it says this about Ahaziah. In one place, 1 Kings chapter 8, it says he became king when he was 22. In 2 Chronicles, it says he became king when he was 42. Sweet. Sweet. I love it when the Lord leaves a noose hanging in a tree with a stool. Men love to climb upon that stool, get the noose around their necks, and then we get to take a King James Bible and just jerk on one of the legs of that stool and hang them there. Let the skeptic wonder why God said Ahaziah was 22 when he began to reign in one place and why he said he was 42 in another place when he began to reign. Because his biological age was 22, which is easily proven from the text. But his relationship to the household of Ahab and Amri, Ahab's father, was 42 years. Sweet! Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. All of a sudden we understand God put Ahaziah and his son and his son's sons in Ahab's family instead of David's family. Because they didn't belong in David's family because they were so wicked to align themselves with Ahab's. Enough about that. That was just to give you an example very quickly of Exodus 20 and verse 5. God is jealous. God will not put up with men playing around with his religion. This verse was not addressed to the Egyptians. This verse was not addressed to the Philistines. This, dress, this verse was not addressed to the Assyrians. It was addressed to God's people. Within the church of God, your sins, if you want to live wickedly and foolishly, can be visited upon your children to the third and fourth generation. Right. That should bring about a very practical consideration immediately. Why in the world would we ever want to conceive a child unless we're going to live righteously? There is no reason to have one unless you're going to live righteously. The earth is not in need of more children, especially yours, if you're not going to live righteously. Let's go to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7. I want to pound this point home, lest you think that it, because it's only found in a couple of places, that it isn't truly valid. If it only occurred in one place, it would be valid as long as it agreed with the rest of Scripture. But it doesn't occur in one place. Uh, it, it, it occurs in 20 or so, with multiplied examples of it throughout the pages of Scripture. Exodus chapter 34, the Lord is revealing himself to Moses, who said, show me your glory. Verse 6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. This is what it sounds like when you get to see the backsides of God. No man can see his front sides and live. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Believe it. Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. When God reveals His beauty, when God revealed His glory to Moses, Moses heard the name and the character traits of God proclaimed to him. Exodus 33 and 34 are wonderful about that. You say, what does God look like? Abundant in goodness and mercy. That's what God looks like. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's what God looks like. But He also looks like this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 5. I will set my face against that man and against his family. And will cut him off and all that go a-whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. I will set myself, my face, against that man. Instead of his face smiling upon a man and his family, God will set his face against that man and his family. Let's turn to Leviticus 26. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 39. This is a wonderful, this is a wonderful chapter with a number of ifs in it. You ought to go through this chapter and circle the ifs. Because there are some conditional statements involved that if you don't want to follow God and obey Him, then He's going to tell you what He'll do to you. But verse 39 tells us, And they that are left of you, after God's judgment, shall pine away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. And also in the iniquities of their fathers shall they pine away with them. Family sins are lumped together and put upon children and children's children so that they can pine away in them and be kept from the riches of God without the remedy that we have in Ezekiel 18. Without the remedy we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. This sermon ought to cause us to reflect on our family trees and to consider what they are and the sins of our fathers and of our grandfathers and of our mothers and our grandmothers, and purpose in our hearts that we are going to repent from all sin and forsake it, but that we are especially going to make diligent inquisition about the sins that they were primarily subject to, that we may repent of them in particular. There is a holy God that created us. We are not here because of evolution. We are not here because of chance. We are not here by any other reason than a holy creator that made us and gave our first parents a law and then has given us laws and we have sinned against those laws and sin, the wages of sin is death. And God visits the iniquities upon children. And we want to humble ourselves before this great God. And examine ourselves. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14, and I will say again, these verses were not written to the house of Baal. These verses were written to the house of Israel, God's people. The rest of the world is still living under the sins of their fathers of a thousand generations. 
And only is there an exception where God delivers one of them. This is the house of God and the Lord's dealings with them. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. If you say to me, we've already read a couple of verses similar to that, it sounds like you're repeating yourself. I'll remind you that the Holy Spirit authored this book, and therefore the Holy Spirit's repetitions are of value to us. The Lord wants us to know something about Him. That He is serious about sin, and He hates sin, and there are family consequences of sin. We want to believe that. Look at the 33rd verse in the same chapter. Your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. We can reason about the generation that made it into Canaan by saying, Hey, they made it to Canaan. But how would you like to live the prime years from 20 to 60, wandering in circles in the wilderness? Do you know why? Because of the sins of their fathers. I am laying verses upon you, showing that God judges your children for your wickedness, your grandchildren for your wickedness, your great-grandchildren for your wickedness, your great-great-grandchildren for your wickedness. Repent! Why will ye die, O Israel? Or why will you bring judgment upon your children? No one wants to preach about the holiness of God and the judgment of sin. Universalism is the number one doctrine of salvation today. And that is everyone's going to be saved and go to heaven. There is no hell. Billy Graham doesn't believe there's a hell anymore. He's publicly popular. But remember, no more. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now that's a thorough annihilation. That's annihilation of their herds and flocks along with every infant and old person. Why? Because God remembered Amalek's sin. This is a nation. This is not just a person. This is a nation. This is a culture. Wipe out the whole thing. Because I remember several hundred years earlier. Remember, who's alive here? Samuel. Who's alive here? King Saul. We've entered the period of the kings of Israel. When did Amalek commit this sin? When Moses brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt, he hindered their progress toward Canaan. The whole book of Judges with all those judges is in between the two events. It's several hundred years. And the Lord says, I remember. Now go kill every baby. You don't think it's just? That nation deserved to have every baby killed. That nation had set itself against God, against the revelation of God that is in the creation, 
against the revelation of God that is in our conscience, against the revelation of God of having watched the nation of Israel come out of Egypt with the Red Sea divided, drowning the whole Egyptian army. They knew about manna that fell from heaven that fed those people in the wilderness. They had never repented. They watched that nation come in and take the land of Canaan and dwell in it. They didn't repent. If we don't repent, we deserve the same fate, and our children deserve the same fate. Second right. Samuel 21. Look at what verse 1 tells us. There was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, Why do we have this famine? The Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were those men that put on old clothes, let some bread get moldy, and they came to Joshua many years earlier, hundreds of years earlier. When they watched the cities of Canaan being destroyed by the Israelite army, these men came with old clothes and dirt on their faces and moldy bread and said, Joshua and the elders of Israel, we've come a great distance. We've heard about your God and how terrible he is. We want to make a covenant with you. Joshua and the elders of Israel foolishly entered into a covenant with them that they would not kill them. Then they find out, found out that they were their next door neighbors, Gibeah, the Gibeonites. Hundreds of years later, King Saul, knowing that the Lord had departed from him and had gone to David, he wanted to show his zeal for the Lord. Horribly misguided zeal, bad zeal. He went and killed Gibeonites. The covenant that Israel had made with them was wrong. But the Lord expected them to abide by that covenant because they had made it in the name of the Lord. That's capital L-O-R-D, meaning Jehovah. But Saul thought that he would show his zeal. See what a profane man does in his zeal? He's still wrong. He went and killed the Gibeonites. And here, in David's reign, the Lord brings a famine because of that. And what was the remedy? Give me seven sons of Saul to hang up before the Lord. And so they took seven sons of Saul and used the stool that I was talking about and hung them up before the Lord. And the Lord stopped the famine. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. There is no God like Him. He starved some Israelites forever participating with Saul in killing Gibeonites. He remembered the transgression And he punished it in Saul's sons. Lord, have mercy upon us for our sins. How much farther should we go? How about to Jeremiah? I'm skipping over many due to the clock in the back. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32 verse 17. Ah, Lord God. Ah, Lord God! Exclamation point. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, The Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men 
to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. This is the word of the Lord. The generation that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ before he died said that he would bring upon them all the righteous blood shed in the history of the world from Abel whose blood was shed by Cain to Zechariah who was slain by the altar, the last martyr of the Old Testament. In the end of Second Chronicles, he would bring all that to pass on that generation. This is, the, this is God's just and holy dealings with men. Right. Noah had three sons. One of those sons sinned against their father and against God. That son's descendants through his son, that was Ham. Ham's son Canaan and his descendants were perpetually cursed to be the servants of Shem and Japheth. Achan sinned by stealing from the city of Jericho and his whole family, was stoned and burned and buried. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, the earth opened up and swallowed everything that pertained unto them, alive down into the the grave. David and Bathsheba's baby died because of David's sin. Because you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, The child shall die. Now how important is sin? It amazes me that mothers think they love their children because they spread the peanut butter on their PBJ sandwiches with passion. If you love your children, then you are going to be a holy woman. Because you want God's mercy upon them to a thousand generations. You tuck them in bed at night and kiss them? Why don't you kiss them with God's kiss by living a holy life? Let us examine ourselves carefully. Very carefully that we do not get distracted by the world's idea of love. And let's give them the best by living holy and righteous lives. Why are the third and the fourth generations mentioned? Because that's how long a good man gets to see the fruit of his good labors. For those of you that love Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8 and Joel 1, it says, The fathers shall teach it to their children, who shall teach it to their children, who shall teach it to the generation to come. There you've got those generations. The wicked get the opposite. They get to, the, 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 the most generations a man's ever going to see is the fourth. The Bible says that. A great blessing was upon Job because he saw the children of the fourth generation. That's the most he's ever going to see. And so the Lord extends the judgment for as long as that man's going to see. That man is going to sit in his rocking chair and see his irreverent, disobedient, profane, great-great-grandchildren and understand, to some measure, depending on God's enlightenment of his mind, that is from the Lord. How is this rule of God just? Because we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We've all sinned by representation. We've sinned in our natures and we've sinned in our actions. It's perfectly just. We see the consequences all around us. A president makes a poor decision, the nation suffers. A boss makes a poor decision, the employees suffer. A father makes a bad decision, the children suffer. We see that principle of representation anywhere. Somebody wants to balk against it, then you need to balk against this. Original sin. 
We are held accountable for Adam's transgression. That's much worse than, than holding the iniquities of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generation. That's holding the iniquity, singular, to the children of a thousand generations. And that is not just temporal punishment or providential judgment in a nation by losing your physical life. That is eternal hell. And God is holy. He gave us the tree of life. He gave us paradise. He gave us the Garden of Eden. He only asked one commandment. He walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the evening. We chose the dilemma upon ourselves. We chose the judgment. It's perfectly just. But brethren, there's another side to this. God blesses the seed of the righteous. Look at the look at these. These verses are better. Psalm 25. I say better because they're, they're more cheerful. The other ones should cause us to reflect, to examine ourselves, and to consider. What is going on in my children and why? Just pull out the family tree and take a look at it. Where there's a carnal father, there's going to be trouble unless there is serious repentance and reformation by those under him. Psalm 25, verse 13. The man, well, we got to get 12 because it tells us what kind of a man's under consideration. Psalm 25, 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? What can we learn about a man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. God is going to teach that man privately and is going to lead him in paths of righteousness. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. Those are wonderful verses of promise that are set against the verses that we started with this morning. And they're wonderful. The choice is yours. Am I and my family going to be great in the earth or am I and my family going to be deserted by God and amount to nothing in the earth but be under His judgment and curses? Consider. Consider and repent. Because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you read Ezekiel 18 last night, you know where I'm headed and you know how true it is and you know how clear the Lord was about the matter. Look at 37, chapter 37 of Psalms. The, the 37th Psalm and verse 26. Speaking about the righteous man from verse 25. He is ever merciful and lendeth and his seed is blessed. A righteous man is always merciful. He forgives everyone for anything that he possibly can and that's everything against himself. And he lends he gives the stuff that he has to anybody who needs it, and his seed is blessed after him. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. His seed is blessed. Turn to Psalm 102. 102. Verse 28. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. A righteous man brings about and accrues God's blessings upon his children and his children's children. Their seed. Notice, the children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed. There we have grandchildren. Look at Psalm 112. Psalm 112. What a wonderful... Listen, this is, this is just fabulous. 
This is the truth of God's Word. He's laying down fundamental axioms for life. That the righteous get a blessing on their family trees and the wicked get a curse on their family trees. And Ezekiel 18 and other places are going to tell us that if we repent, we can jump from one to the other. We can break sin cycles. You want to hear about a sin cycle being broken? Let me jump ahead of myself and give you one. The city of Jericho. Those wicked Jericho inhabitants, God had purposed from before the world began to annihilate them. But there was a woman, a woman in the city of Jericho, that saw and heard what was happening as Israel came out of Egypt and then wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then crossed the Jordan with it stacking up she heard these things. She saw that the, all the inhabitants of Canaan were like jello. They quivered at this nation that was coming toward them. Right. And she repented of being of the religion of Jericho. She hid the two spies, lied to her city council, protected them, and begged them to save her life in the name of the Lord Jehovah. Right. Let me tell you something about breaking a family cycle. Do you know where her relatives are? They're buried, they're, I mean, her distant relatives, not her father's house, but her distant relatives and the other citizens of the city of Jericho, they are buried in the sand of that little place called Israel at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Where is Rahab? She is listed with an epitaph in Hebrews chapter 11 and James chapter 2, and she is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. David himself was her great-grandson. How's that for breaking a family sin cycle? Praise the Lord! Amen. How long did it take? She's a prostitute. Hey, babe. Can we come in and spend the night? Spies from Israel. What are the next words? From Israel? She could tell. Hey, prostitutes, no men. These men don't belong in my city. I've never seen them before. You're from Israel. Have mercy on my house and my family in the name of the Lord Jehovah God. Man, when you find a woman like that, even if she's been a prostitute, what's my answer going to be? Marry her. She's David's great grandmother. Right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Marry her. You say, but she's not a virgin. Marry her. Her heart's better than a virgin. Anybody can have a hymen, but who's got a heart like Rahab? Right. Marry her. Praise the Lord. That's breaking a family sin cycle. Does that get you excited? How long does it take? Consider, examine, confess, repent, and choose righteousness. And the Lord will jump you from a cycle of sin and judgment to a cycle of righteousness and blessing. Get bored with living the life of righteousness and start to live wickedly again? He'll throw you back where you belong. Did you get that out of Ezekiel 18? Didn't he tell it to us very plainly and very... His ways are just, aren't they? His ways are equal. Our ways are very unequal. He's very merciful and gracious. Oh, this is... ah, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Where were we turning? It's 112.28. 112.2. Look at 112.2. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Those that you are able to generate by going to bed with your wife shall be blessed. This is great. 
You're proud of getting them a high school diploma? You big boy, you. Wow. There's only two billion people with high school diplomas. They're more common than a driver's license. Why don't you do something good for your family and get God's blessing upon them so that what they put their hands to in life, God's going to bless it. God's going to put a hedge of protection about them and keep evil away from them. God's going to lead them in their mind and in their heart and in their soul. And He's going to, he's going to show them His covenant. You love your children? You have one inside you. What are you going to give her? I'm going to nurse her. You can do so much more. I know you are. Every one of us. Right. Let the truth be told. We have failed to a, to a certain degree, haven't we? Right. We have not taken this as seriously as we should. Some of you that don't have children yet rejoice. You can start from conception with planning that conception in the fear of the Lord. Lord, have mercy and bless us. You can break an ungodly cycle of wickedness. But a godly father is no safety for you. Because look at Hezekiah. His son was Manasseh. Look at Samuel, the little boy, who watched God's judgment on Eli for the wickedness of his sons. Samuel's sons were like Eli's sons. The reason Israel wanted a king was because Samuel's sons were wicked. Oh, Lord. Look at David's children. Murderers, seditionists, traitors. Repentance can deliver even a man like Ahab. Right. Look at 1 Kings 29. 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21. Oh, I love Rahab. The Lord. But she's not a virgin, Pastor. I mean, she's had a thousand men, Pastor. Marry her. You're never going to get a woman with a heart like that. Marry her. I hope I'm making myself clear in light of the Bible. Right. Every girl should be a virgin when she gets married. That's God's order. But if she's not, but she has, and she has a heart that loves the Lord and fears God, marry her. Because that is so much better. And the Lord just stuck her right into Jesus Christ's lineage. So that when you get to Matthew chapter 1 and you open up the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there's Rahab. There's only four women mentioned in the genealogy. Do you know the four women? Rahab's one of them. How about Ruth the Moabitess? How about Bathsheba? Yeah. Praise the Lord. How about Tamar? Do you know the four women that God stuck in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ were tainted women? But they all had good hearts, pure hearts before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. First Kings 21, look at this. It came to pass when Ahab heard these words, there was a point in Ahab's life, I'm at verse 27, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh at the preaching of Elijah and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. That's what we ought to do at times, is to go softly and be very careful about what we say or do because we want to be very sober before God as we consider our ways and consider our family trees and examine ourselves and repent of our sins. He put sackcloth on his flesh, he fasted, he lay in sackcloth, and he went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, 
Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Here was repentance. The Lord reached down and pulled Ahab out of the, the sin cycle that was going to pound his family. It pounded those before him. It pounded those after him. But the Lord pulled Ahab out. And he got to die in battle with an arrow through the joints of his armor. And he was taken out of the picture so he didn't have to watch all the grief and trouble that came upon Israel. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's go, to, let's go to Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. Does Ezekiel 18 fit with all these verses and all the ones that I didn't read to you? It absolutely does. There's no contradiction. Ezekiel 18 is written because that wicked nation of scorners were living as wickedly as their fathers ever had, yet they were blaming God's severity and their father's sins for their trouble with Babylon. And so the Lord says, oh no, 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 it it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You people aren't righteous, and it's because of your father's sins that are bringing this judgment. You are wicked yourselves. And if you would repent, you could have mercy. But you haven't repented, and so I'm going to punish you for your sins and your father's sins because you haven't repented. They were scorners. We must always read Scripture in the light of its context so that we can put the proper sense on it so that we don't read Ezekiel 18 and say, well, Ezekiel 18 and Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5 and the rest of those verses can't both be true. Oh, yes, they're both true. That's how we study the Bible. It is true. What is true in Ezekiel 18 is that you are not going to be punished for your father's sins when you repent. God's ways are not unfair. Your ways are unfair. And their ways were unfair because they were sinning as much as their fathers ever had and yet wanting to blame their fathers and blame God for having unequal ways. Here it goes. Ezekiel 18 verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto me again saying... What mean ye, that's a plural pronoun, that ye use, Ezekiel didn't use this proverb, the Jews used it. What mean ye, that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. That was a proverb in their midst. When you eat a real sour thing, it can set your teeth on edge. It, It makes your mouth ache when you eat something very sour. And their little proverb was, the fathers did the bad things. The fathers sinned. The fathers ate the sour grapes. They're the ones that sinned. Our teeth are set on edge, meaning we're being judged and we're going to Babylon because of their sins. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, and it goes on to describe a just and lawful and right man, he shall live. If his son, coming after him, doesn't want to live the righteous life that his father did, but lives a wicked life, he shall die. If the son coming from him looks at his father, and his grandfather saw the one had a blessed life, the father had a bad life, and considers and changes his way so he lives a righteous life, he shall live. So we have three generations. 
The grandfather living a righteous life and being blessed. The son or the father living a wicked life and dying the death of God's providential chastening judgment. Then the the grandson or the son, in this particular case, reflecting on that, it's called considering in this chapter, verses 14 and 28, I believe, are the verses. If he'll consider his ways, he shall live. My ways are not unequal. Your ways are unequal. Because they were all living wickedly. The last four verses of the chapter tell this group of skeptics and scorners that they need to repent from their sins because why should ye die, O house of Israel? They were sinners. Don't go. This chapter has nothing to do with eternal life. Arminians love to grab Ezekiel chapter 18 and pound us with it that all, all a man has to do is repent and he can live. This is God's providential judgment by Babylon upon the people of Israel. It's, it's chastening judgment. It's national judgment. It's physical judgment. And so the Lord goes back and forth throughout. And oh, the Lord is irritated with them, accusing him of his severity and unjust ways and trying to excuse themselves. Verse 25, Yet ye say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? And not your ways unequal? Says it again in verse 29. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? The key to the book of what the lesson we want to grab, the key to the chapter, is what we want to grab in verse 28. Because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. If a man would repent... Even in the days of God's curse upon that nation, he could live. Jeremiah lived. Jeremiah didn't even have to go to Babylon. Jeremiah stayed there. Nebuchadnezzar liked Jeremiah. They got along great. Nebuchadnezzar said, Jeremiah, what do you want? I want to live next to Outback. Okay. We're going to leave you a place next to Outback so you can eat there every night. Nebuchadnezzar, why? Because he repented. The rest of this nation, off to Babylon. This doesn't contradict those other verses at all. This is a specific case of scorners that were blaming God. And what God, the, the bottom line is, if you repent, you can break the cycle. They were saying, we're good and we can't get free from the sins of our fathers. Oh, yes, you can. Repent. Why will ye die, O house of Israel? That's the sense of Ezekiel 18. And much more could be said about it that's of a more technical nature. But I don't think that it's of profit to us. This is where all other things being equal comes in and is very important. This is where we remember principles like every man shall bear his own burden. But see, when we look at Amalek being judged for hundreds of years, no one ever repented. So then the, the sins of the fathers are brought to bear. The nation that Jesus Christ preached to didn't repent. So they got all the righteous blood all the way from Abel. What happened to the ones that repented? Were they free from Jesus' blood? Were they free from Abel's blood? Were they free from any guilt? Absolutely. Because they repented. But when there's no repentance, then the sins just keep accumulating and keep pressing down on family trees. Where's the man that's going to stand up and say, Enough is enough. As for me and my house... We shall serve the Lord, and I'm going to stop this family tree that's crumbling and does not look like a family tree of God-fearing people. I'm going to change it. Lord, raise up men like that. 
These scorners were blaming God's unequal ways for not protecting them. They were blaming God for it. They were acting like they were innocent and free, when in fact they were great sinners themselves. The doctrine applied, brethren, your choices today, your choices right now. Do I fear God and tremble before His Word? Your choice right now affects your children and your children's children. If, you, if you're dozing, if you're daydreaming, your family's under a curse and there isn't a thing you can do about it. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. This is God's precious Word. He has had so much mercy that you would be under its preaching today. It has nothing to do with the inadequacies of the preacher. It has everything to do with the sufficiency of the Scripture. Amen. And the sufficiency of the Scripture is glorious. Amen. And it should cause us to tremble right now and to want to be godly men so that our children and children's children and great-grandchildren are godly and blessed. And God shows mercy to them to a thousand generations. Amen. Let's not just have babies. Let's commit ourselves to righteousness, then have babies. Those who already have babies, let's commit ourselves to righteousness that those babies will grow up to be God-fearing men. Do you hear me, Jonathan Clifton? Lord, help us. Save us. Forgive us. Carnal Christians beget carnal Christians as surely as big Buddhists beget little Buddhists. Isn't that terrible? One idiot in the history of the world decided to make a fat-bellied little idol that he could go by and rub its belly. And that he could build a little fire in front of it and bow down before it. Do you know what's happened because one idiot did that? Two billion idiots that came from that idiot have bowed down and built little fires and rubbed the belly of the same stupid little god. Big Buddhists beget little Buddhists. Who is going to break that chain? And you know, once in a while, God saves a Buddhist. And he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, it's by grace that gets it started, brethren. But this, these are the people of God. They already have God's grace. These are the people of God. That's why I'm preaching to you. I don't preach to Buddhists. You look in a Buddhist face, you know there's nothing there. There's nothing between their ears. They have given up on all rational thought. You just got to go see some. You just got to go meet them, listen to them chant, look in their face. There's nothing there. God's put us here. He's put you under the sound of His Word. That is grace. Now, what are you going to do with that grace? As for me and my house, I am not going to live a carnal Christian life. I want to live a holy life with zeal for the Lord. Brethren, do you hear me? Do you want to do that? Good men live and work with an eye to at least four generations. For verses I've already said, Psalm 78, Joel chapter 1. Godly men are going to think that way. Setting a godly heritage for future generations, you can do it three ways. By your example, by your training, and by God's blessing. Three things you can do for a generation of righteousness and a generation of God being blessed and being those that God will show mercy to a thousand generations. Your example, your training, and God's blessing. Because the seed of the righteous shall be blessed. Those three things work together and you can change your family. Lord, help us to do that. Forget your fuzzy-wuzzy feelings about family. Focus on real righteousness and fruit-bearing. Do I have children that bear fruit? Do they have the fruit of the Spirit? Do they convert souls? Are they outstanding in their character? Does everybody know them and respect their character? Let's have fruit-bearing children. Let's have righteous children. Let's have children that are the salt of the earth and make a difference in the world. 
For the Lord's sake. For righteousness' sake. For the truth's sake. God's grace is essential. And I'm not, dis- I'm not discounting it. But so is confession, repentance, reformation, and obedience essential. God's not going to bless your family while you're wicked. That is an exception to His rule. And He would only do that because the goodness of God should lead you to repentance. He's only going to do that for a while. You can't guarantee the future of your family, but you can certainly boost its probability of spiritual success and fruit bearing by your example, by your training, and by God's blessing upon your righteous life. We should never consider conceiving a child unless we're going to live righteously. You're cursing that baby unless you live righteously. When you marry, you marry a family, and you better look at that family's family tree. That's a general rule. You're marrying a family. And you want to marry someone that has two parents that fear God and live a righteous life. If that is not the case then the child should be exceptional like Rahab. Okay? I'm not contradicting myself. The child has got to be exceptional and has, and has broken the family cycle of sin in their family tree by being an exceptional Christian like Rahab. Broke, broke down. She was a Canaanite. Canaanites will be servants of Shem and Japheth forever. Not Rahab. Rahab's grandson ruled over all the Semites called the Jews. Because she broke that curse by repentance and righteousness. That's how we marry. It's the consideration of Ezekiel 18. And we need to consider our ways and consider our families and consider our family trees and examine ourselves and commit ourselves to righteousness this day. There's more than God's secret will affecting your children. I'm talking about God's secret will right now. How long He will... Judge your fathers upon your children. But you can break that. That's his secret will. We don't know it. But the revealed things belong unto us and to our children. And do you know what's revealed? What's revealed is that we should repent. If you want to be a carnal Christian at home, prepare for the judgment on your family. Every time you turn the television on and watch something you shouldn't that doesn't glorify God, is not profitable for your souls, is not guarded very carefully... Prepare for judgment on your family. Your family's not going to amount to anything. If you want to disrespect authority in your life of any kind, prepare for judgment. Prepare to endure the same. Because God's going to visit the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. You have rebellion in a father that doesn't repent of his rebellion against government, against his father. I can't stand bitterness against your relatives. When you're bitter against a relative of yours, like a parent, I don't care what the parent did to you. I couldn't care less. I don't care if when you were born they tossed you out in the street and the garbage came along, put you in the compactor, and you were found at the landfill. So what? Forgive her. She had a bad day. Forgive your mama. Because that bitterness that is in your heart, God is going to judge it on your children. When you disrespect our government in Washington, your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to disrespect your parental authority. Get ready for it. Embrace it. It's coming big time. Do you all hear me? These are the practical applications of looking at the Word of God. If you want to be a spectator sports or hobby addict, then prepare for family judgment because God's given you His Word and His truth on a silver platter and you've neglected it for something the world hands you on a copper platter. Prepare for judgment on your family. 
Examine your family. Examine your family tree. If there's been drunkenness in your family's history, then be zealous about alcohol. If there's been financial foolishness in your family, then be a faithful and a wise steward yourself to break that chain, break that cycle. If there has been intellectual skepticism in your family against Christianity, then be a man of faith and believe every word of God and live by it. You can break that cycle of atheistic or agnostic folly. If there has been rebellion and scorn against government, then you get yourself a picture of President Obama and put it in the kitchen. If there's a carnal Christian, if there's been carnal Christianity in your family, then be spiritually zealous to repent about that to an extreme and have a holy house. Three quick verses and we end. Leviticus 26. The verses I want to give you are confessing the sins of your family. Leviticus 26. I want three witnesses on it and we'll close. I hope that we'll consider ourselves. All these little children sitting in this assembly. I look back there and see Mariah. I see Luke. Luke, do you hear me? I see you. I'm losing my distant vision, but I can still see you, son. Hannah, Joshua, you're turning around looking at Luke. I'm still looking at you. All these children, Keith, Taylor, Michael, parents, why did we have them? Let's confess our sins and the sins of our fathers. And let's recommit ourselves to holy and spiritual lives for the glory of God and for the benefit of our children to the third and the fourth generation. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 40. We read verse 39 earlier, didn't we? Do you remember? They shall pine away in their father's sins. Remember? Look at it. Do you remember it? Now verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass which they trespassed against me and that also they have walked contrary unto me, not trying to blame it all on daddy. We confess our sins and we confess daddy's sins along with it. And you can go further and read verse 42, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. That's where God's mercy comes. I want you to see that you can confess the sins of someone else. That doesn't necessarily, that doesn't clear them personally. It clears you from the guilt from them. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. There are forces at play in the universe and in this world that men know nothing about. For what Greece did to the world and for what Greece did to the people of God, you want to take a tour to Greece? That great power nation, Alexander the Great, are you kidding? They can barely feed their people. Do you know what's going to happen to America for turning its back on God's goodness in this country? They're going to barely be able to feed their people. Just wait. That's why we pray for our nation every day. Right. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 20 and 4th day of this month, Nehemiah 9, 1. In the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. 
And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God, one fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. I wanted you to notice, and the reason we're reading this passage is for the last clause of verse 2, they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They had been carried off to Babylon and brought back for sins of their fathers. Daniel chapter 9, the last reference. Daniel chapter 9. This is an extensive passage. I will not read it all. Daniel chapter 9. Where's Daniel? He's in Babylon. What's he been reading? Jeremiah. What did he learn? That we're only supposed to be in Babylon for 70 years. And I've been here 70 years. So what does he do about it? Here's what he does about it. Daniel 9.3. What I just told you is in the first two verses. Daniel 9, 3, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And I'll stop reading right there. He's using a plural pronoun, we. Daniel was not personally guilty of those sins. We have sinned. We would not listen to your prophets referring to all those prophets that came before the 70-year captivity in Babylon. We have sinned. Have mercy upon us and fulfill your word and deliver us out of this city. Did he? Cyrus took the kingdom and said, The great God of heaven hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Now all of you Jews that would like to go back to Jerusalem and build a house, I'll pay for it. You build it. This is the word of the Lord. May we consider our ways, humble ourselves before a holy God, and get excited about what we can do for our family trees by the way of righteousness. Every single one of you in here with your children, I love them. I want them to grow up to be God-fearing men and women. I don't care about anything else in their life. I don't care about their educational attainments. I don't care about their financial attainments. I care about their souls and their spirits. Will they be fruit-bearing, righteous Men and women. Because that's what the Lord wants. And a man who's righteous, who delights himself in the Lord, he's going to get the desire of his heart anyway. And a man who walks uprightly, no good things. The Lord's going to withhold from that man anyway. So if we put the Lord first, he takes care of everything else. I want children here that will grow up to be adults that seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto them. I don't want to start with all these things and get our children distracted. And if you get distracted with all these things, the Lord's going to judge your children. Let us put the Lord first and he'll take care of all these things. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.